Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Angel Insights, brought to you by Syndicate Room. Now today is a very special day as we welcome Michael Blakey. Michael is a director at Avonmore Developments, one of the leading seed and early stage investors, with over 21 investments and several exits. Michael is primarily responsible for Avonmore's deal sourcing and marketing, and prior to Avonmore, he was heavily involved with the rollout of Sainsbury's to You, internet shopping and manage several products including IT replatforming of all Sainsbury's HR and payroll systems. It was whilst working at Sainsbury's that Michael made a number of early stage investments and this led him into joining Avonmore full-time in 2002. In today's phenomenal episode Michael breaks down the three rules required to be a very successful angel. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, it's Michael Blakey, director at Avonmore Developments. Michael, welcome to Angel Insights. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Harry. I'm very much looking to look forward to talking to you. Now, I'd love to start off by hearing how you got into investing in the investing world. Um, it's uh, something that uh, I think I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, from my very early days at school, um, I was always setting up businesses and figuring out how I could earn, uh, earn extra money. Um, and then when I went, I studied in America. And when I came back, I decided to set up a business with my brother uh, in property um, during the 90s. And we did very well out of that. Um, and we did that on the side of, what would I say, our full-time jobs. And when we exited the business... Um, we couldn't think of another idea of something that we would wanted to do ourselves. So we decided to, uh, we, and angel investing was just coming to the fore. So this was like late 99, early 2000. Wow. That's uh, pretty early to angel investing. Yeah. Yeah. We've been, yeah. And we were slightly different as well because we were still in our, well, I was in my early twenties. My brother was in my his mid twenties. Um, so the traditional angel investor, I think, back in those days was male, probably 50 plus, um, and came from banking or some other, um, uh, from some other kind of more standard uh, industry. Did you, face um, any which is one... Did you face any prejudices for your age um, when you started investing? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. We, we, my brother got, because my brother was a very young looking mid-20s. So people either assumed he was an entrepreneur or that he was there looking for his father. Um, <laughs> and uh, one, of the, uh, one of the reasons we're actually kind of called even more developments, um, and, and it's, I'm sure it's a very good sociological or uh, psychological uh, test, is that the minute we said we were even more developments, everybody assumed that we were a VC and that we were experts in the fields of startups. Even people who had met us when we first started as angel investors. So it, it, it very much is it was about the, the minute the perception changed that we were a VC, even though we are angel investors, we don't invest other people's money, um, that they took us a lot more seriously. Okay, absolutely. Uh, and that's, that was your entry and you've been staying... That, was, that, that was our entry and, and it was during the dot-com boom. Um, and my brother being the accountant, I was involved in uh, Sainsbury's to you. Uh, the online food delivery. So that's what got me involved in technology. Uh, my brother is an accountant by trade. Um, but one of the things we could never understand was um, all the hype around uh, the dot-com, the internet, and all, all of those lovely buzzwords. Um, 
all we could see is people spending huge amounts of money with no interest in actually how they were going to make money, except in terms of ad uh, revenue. So, um, so, so what in our, do you specialise in then at Avon More Developments? Well, we now do internet, but back then what we try, I would say if we specialise in anything, it, it's doing the stuff that nobody else is interested in. Okay. So whilst everybody else was doing kind of the dot-com boom, we were investing in everything else that couldn't raise funding because it wasn't anything to do with the internet. So back in those days, we invested in like robotics, um, logistics, cosmetics, um, fuel cell. Um, so stuff that normally people, you know, just weren't interested in because it just wasn't sexy. Absolutely. So um, now, now we do do some more internet stuff, but we're not looking for the kind of main B to C plays. So I'm not looking at kind of like fashion apps. Um, and the such, like uh, we, we prefer on the whole B two B or things that are solving real problems. Um, so I, I would say probably about seventy five percent of our investments are B two B, and the other ones are I would say either B to B to C or B to C. But it, it, it's a mixture. You know, the B to C is more we're driven by the entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the concept, um, when it's B2B, we're much more driven by the, well, we're driven by the entrepreneurs, but also by the problem that they're solving. And then looking back now, you've, you've been angel investing for 15 years or so. Have you seen yeah. developments in your own investment strategy and how you look at startups? I think definitely. Um, in, in, the way, in the way that we run, um, one of the first bits of advice that, we kind of uh, still follow to this day. When we first started thinking about angel investing, we met somebody totally randomly, uh, and he said, "If you want to make money angel investing, follow these three rules. You know, do it full time, actively support your businesses, and then work like a VC." Now, stupidly, I never got the guy's name, and so it all sounded obvious when he was talking to me. But when you kind of then go away and think about it. I think the first two are obvious, but when he said work like a VC, I think it took us a few years to actually figure out exactly what he meant by that. And I'd love to dissect that then, because that is fascinating. What, what, how have you interpreted work like a VC? I think, I think, I think the, the, the two main points are is that if you want to make money um, and working like a VC, you've got to be willing to do multiple rounds of investment into the company. Okay. So, you so you're not just investing in, in the first round. So I always say for every pound I invest in the first round, I mentally put aside five pounds for future investments into that business. Okay. Um, you know, and we like to invest in pre-revenue businesses. So literally our, I guess you could call it DD, uh, is the, the original investment that we make. Because a lot of the success, you know, there's a lot of good ideas about out there. But there's not many good, good entrepreneurs and people that can actually execute on an idea. So um, for me, we work closely with the businesses. And then if we see the company is going somewhere or the entrepreneur really impresses us, we're, we're, we feel the later rounds, whilst we obviously we'll be paying a higher valuation, our returns will be less. But we, we see them as a lot more de-risked than anybody else because we've actually built that relationship over a period of time uh, whilst we're actually building the business. I think the other thing which is where I think Simon and I have an unfair advantage is there's two of us. 
um, it's very easy to fall in love, and I see this all the time, fall in love with a concept. Um, I see angels doing it all the time. It's like, you know, they're successful businessmen. They've made their money, uh, you, you know, in business. But when it comes to angel investing, sometimes common sense goes out the window. Okay. Um, one of the ways that VCs work is you have the investment manager and then you have the investment committee. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so that's how we work. So my brother is now the investment committee. So, so I go out, I find the deals, just, okay. I get them investor ready. I might spend a lot of time, you know, sometimes I can be spending six to nine months talking to the companies before we actually even offer them a term sheet, especially because we're very, very early stage. So sometimes it's a lot of time is spent getting them investor ready. I then have to pitch it to my brother who doesn't have any of the emotional attachments. So for him, he can say no. Absolutely. Um, and in that way, we, you know, cause there was definitely some early investments that we made that, because we were both involved in going through the process, we knew there were warning signs, but we still went ahead because we thought we knew better. And, and I think common sense didn't really kind of kick in. And that way you eliminate the, the kind of, not naivety, but the youthful excitement of a concept. Exactly. You know, when you're dealing with entrepreneurs, they're passionate, they, they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't 100% believe that in, in what they were doing. Um, but sometimes you've just got to be able to take a step back to see the wood from the trees. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, then, and, then, and that's difficult to do. The second uh, point to making money as a, as a VC was to actively support your investments. Yeah. How do you like to actively support them? Is it through readying them for follow-on rounds? Is it through providing connections, hiring? What What do, would you say your key value add is? It's it's, it's actually a, a multitude of things. Also, depending on on what the management needs. I mean, we've now been involved in a, over thirty startups. We see a lot of the mistakes that they make, and a lot of things that they do well as well. And so we try and make sure that the entrepreneurs learn from each other mm-hmm. so we take you know when we take a portfolio approach if you know if a company is going through they want to do set up invoice discounting let's say one of our other companies has gone through that so we introduce the two um finance directors together so they can so it can just save them a lot of time um and a lot of mistakes that could easily be made while setting it up Absolutely. so stuff like that that we do also a lot of entrepreneurs are very good at maybe the technology mm-hmm. or on the sales, but none of them really, unless they're serial entrepreneurs, have actually ever set up a business before. So how do you make sure you hire the right people, put the right infrastructure in place? Are they raising enough money? Um, and just somebody who can actually, knows how to actually challenge their thinking. Um, so it's one of the reasons why we can be a bit more generalist um, you know, so we can invest in things like cosmetics and at the same time actually um, add the same amount of value to a company that's doing logistics. Through the um, We invest in the entrepreneurs to be specialists in their sector. We will help them build the business. And, you know, also the other strength is, is that I've been around the block for about 15 years now. Um, I know a lot of the investors, especially the later stage ones. I've built relationships with them. So, and I know what kind of things they're looking for. So I helped a company last year raise $7 million and talking to the founder afterwards, he reckons I saved him about three to four months in the process because he didn't actually have to go looking for the VCs. 
I brought him all the ones that he required. Wow, that's a phenomenal achievement. Congratulations on that. And yeah, and then the first one, going back through them um, yeah. reversely, was to be an angel full-time. Why do you think that's yeah. so important? I mean, a lot of angels aren't actually full-time. What benefits do you see as an investor from being a full-time angel? Well, I, I think that there's a couple. Um, first off, um, a lot of investors kind of wait for the companies to come and or, or but kind of go to investment networks or whatever, and they 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 wait to find you know somebody else to find the companies and bring them to them. If you want to get the good companies, you have to be one of the first five investors that they actually that the entrepreneur goes and talks to. It's it's the obvious winners or the really strong manager you know entrepreneurs don't need to to go to the normal places where a lot of investors go to find the deal. So I always say my, my target is is to always be one of the first five investors that a company meets. And how do you do that? How do you immerse yourselves in the kind of entrepreneurial community enough to be one of the first? I think part of it is track record and part of it is um, I do a lot of mentoring. I do a lot of talking. Um, you know, I think we've got good relationships with, with the majority of our entrepreneurs um, that we've invested in. And they're a very good source of deal flow themselves. You know, um, entrepreneurs nowadays really do talk to each other. And it's just about building reputation. And also, I know a lot of the very good um, other investors. And, you know, I think when we first started doing this, there was maybe only one or two other people that I could name that were kind of taking this, we'll take it as a full-time approach type of uh, 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 way of thinking. If you now look at it, you've got a, you've got numerous investors who I would call our full-time angel investors. You know, you've got, you know, Rajat Maholtra um, from Rank Capital. You've got, Play, you've got uh, Fetty from Playfair Capital. Yeah, Fetty's great. Um, you know, so all these people are very much, you know, that they said, well, we're going to focus it. They're doing it in slightly different ways and on a larger scale, but that's very much the way. So it means that you get the quality deal flow. Um, I think also the other thing is, is looking at Internet in particular, the startups, you have to look on it on a global scale. If you're doing it part time, you might be able to go to one or two accelerators or demo days, or you might be able to go to a few investment uh, you know, network meetings. The reality is, that if you, you know, a lot of companies say we're the only people doing this, or we've got the best technology, and not knowing that somebody in, you know, Singapore or somebody in New York are working on exactly the same thing and are actually more advanced than you. But because so you've got to have a lot more of time, they don't know time to do actually go out and really know. So it's part of the DD is you've got to know what else is going on within the market that you're investing in. Absolutely. Because with the internet and certain technologies, it, it moves so fast that you can think you're on a really good thing and then you suddenly find out a company just down the road has raised $50 million um, doing pretty much exactly the same thing as you. With this rise of kind of group investing in professional angels, do you like to co-invest with people or do you prefer to invest individually? Um, I will only ever co-invest with other people. I will never do sole, um, be a sole investor in a company. And then what characteristics um, be, do you look for in those co-investors? Um, I, I think it's people with a similar kind of philosophy that 
and understanding that I do. I mean, for me, I probably spend as much time looking for co-investors and building relationships with co-investors as I do actually looking for entrepreneurs to invest in. Um, everybody, I was actually giving a talk today and, you know, the, one, the discussion turned to the kind of pre-series A rounds. I said, look, the reality is it's probably 5 or 10% of companies that go from a, a seed round straight to a series A. There's always these kind of pre-series A, and you can have multiple pre-series A um, before you actually get to the series, even for successful companies. So for me, I, I like to know that A, the other investors I'm investing alongside with, don't panic when things don't go according to plan or take longer. Um, also that they they also believe that they've got to invest in multiple rounds. Um, and they know that. Do, they, do you work with angels who are aware that future refunding is yeah. required? Yeah. It is. It, I mean, there's no, sometimes, you know, you don't have to have the whole round. I mean, there's, there's other investors, you know, as I said, I'm not an expert really in any, I would say, vertical, maybe logistics now, but that's only because I've done so many investments in that space. But, um, I sometimes find, you know, when we invested in a um, IP company, I knew an IP lawyer, and one of the things he said is that he'd only put a small amount of money in, but he would do all of that IP stuff work for free. Okay. You know, but he wouldn't be doing any future rounds of investment. It was just this one time. And I was just like, buddy, I said, I don't care if you're putting in $10. If you're going to do all the IP work and you're, you know, he, he's one of the top guys in the country for it. For me, that was well worth it. Yeah. So you'd accept uh, labor in exchange for equity in some cases. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, for me that there's lots of good investors and then it's also, you want to have the good personal relationship with them because these things are like roller coasters, you know, it's never going all the way up, up, up. There's very few companies that have that. Even my more successful ones have always had periods where, They've been sailing very close to the wind. Um, and, and you just need the investors to actually work well together when, when things aren't going right and then being supportive of the, of the management team. And you've had some incredible successes in your career with Avon Moore, but we'd love to delve into a kind of a good old war story and what went wrong and how your approach has maybe altered from that experience. Well, there was one company. I can't say the name of it because okay, don't don't worry it, about the name. It's, it, it's very it's a very sore subject for a lot of investors. <laughs> um, and I think the the first thing was is um, we knew there was problems within the management team when we made the investment. But our thinking was is that we'd identified it in DD, and that we would invest and then we'd make the changes as part of the closing of the rounds. Sure. I think the first thing is, is that any changes you ever need to make within the management team or the company or anything, any concerns that you have, make it before you put a penny into the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, if you, if you don't get what you want in that way, just walk away. Um, you know, uh, it, it's when they've got your money, it makes it very much harder to actually make any changes, especially ones which aren't necessarily uh, seen in a positive light by all parties. Um, I think the other thing for me with that, and it was actually the same company, I then spent a year trying to rescue that company. Um, 
And the problem with that was I spent so much time trying to save something which I, at best, I was going to make 50p in the pound back, at best. Mm. I didn't actually focus on the companies that were doing exceptionally well. Okay, the opportunity uh, cost. The opportunity cost. So, so for me, one of the things that I now am is the minute I no longer, or my brother and I no longer believe in the company, we just walk away. And, and uh, leave leave your money in it, or how do you leave the money in it? We don't, you know, because there's a couple of companies we've done that to, and by hook and by crook, they've actually managed to turn the business around. Okay, that's very interesting. It, 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 you know, we you know we're not always right in the investments we make, and we sometimes we make you know, and but the the we've got to believe that we're adding value. If we don't believe that we're adding value or being listened to or you know, in the direction the company is going, uh, we just move on and focus on those other companies. Because when you're building a portfolio, as much as you would like, you can't work and support every company that you invest in. Yeah, absolutely. How many portfolio companies then would you say you have and actively work on? Um, I, because also the other thing is, is we've also opened up an office in Asia. So, I'm actually talking to you from Singapore. I, I split my time. I travel every couple of weeks between London and Singapore. Okay. Um, so for me, I look after six companies in Asia. And my brother probably actively supports about eight companies um, in the UK. Okay, absolutely. And that's the right balance to be able to give kind of actionable advice to startups and look for new opportunities. I look at my brother and I would have to actually say probably eight is probably stretching the boundaries. And because he, there's a couple of, and it, it, you know, he's not always in, you know, involved every single day in, in, in the decision makings. It kind of goes in swings and roundabouts for each business. Um, but there's a couple of times he's having to, you know, literally on a weekly basis be talking to the founders of companies for, for, for whatever issues, either good or bad. So, um, so I think eight is probably the maximum you can probably support in, 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 in a good way. If you, you know, these people who say, well, we're sit on the board of 15 companies. Yeah, I'm like, well, boring. how, you know, and we don't always sit on the board, even, even though we quite often lead the deals, we don't always take up a board position. Okay. Um, Why is that? We, we always take Mainly because it's about time. We want to focus on the companies when they need us. Sure. Um, sitting on a board, um, there's lots of legal requirements um, that go along with it. So sometimes if nothing is going on with the board or there's nothing really exceptional we can add value, we just won't be involved in the company that much. Okay. Um, when they need us, we're there and we can support them. We're always going to be investors. But it's, we don't believe that it's necessary for us always to sit on the board. We always insist the board seat is taken. So one of the other people that we invest with will always sit on the board. Okay. Um, but we don't need to be that, that, that people, that those people, even if we do lead the deal ourselves. And I'd absolutely love to dive into a quick fire round with you where I say a short statement and you give me your immediate thoughts. Okay. So your favorite angel investing resource, book, podcast, blog, what do you love to, to focus on for angel investing or have you learned most from? Um, I like reading stuff from either Mark Zuster or Fred Wilson. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, both awesome. Uh, the hardest aspect of angel investing? Walking away from a deal. Your investing ethos in a sentence? 
give me a problem and the people to solve it. And then your favorite thing about angel investing? I love roller coasters. Your most recent investment and why you said yes? Uh, my doc, uh, Singapore company, um, the founder proved me wrong. Fantastic. And, and then how do you measure your success as an angel? Is it through returns? Is it through the follow-on funding that they get? The value you put in? What's your kind of measurement of success? Cash in the bank. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you very much for the questions. As always, we have a brilliant accompanying article to this episode titled The Three Rules to Make Money as an Angel, and that can be found on the Syndicate Room website at www.syndicateroom.com. And we would love to hear your thoughts, so please do tweet us at syndicateroom. But before we leave today's show, we would also like to remind you that whenever you invest in early stage ventures, your capital is at risk. So do conduct the full due diligence. Thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you in the next episode.